So I've been involved with youth ministry since I graduated from high school about 10 years ago, which is crazy that it's been 10 years. This is my 10-year, like, uh, I guess, anniversary of graduating and everything, and that time feels like it's really flown by. Um, but early on in that time of working in youth ministry, I was an adult volunteer, and I was, like, leading our middle schoolers here at Crossroads. So I was doing our, our middle school uh, youth ministry. And um, we decided as a, as a youth team that we were going to do a, what was called a high school sexual purity retreat. That was what it was called. And I was going to volunteer. I got to be a part um, of that. And it was actually like a very like sweet weekend. We did it over a weekend. It was an overnight event. Uh, it was at the church. Our speakers were all really excellent. Our discussions were transparent. They were honest. Students were able to ask some of, like, the hard questions that you have about, like, sex and sexuality when you're in high school. And I was really proud that we were tackling those things rather than shying away from them. I thought that that was uh, really cool that we were doing that. And then at the end, at, this was sort of like the culmination of our weekend. At the end, we wrote letters to ourselves for the future about what we were going to be like looking for in our future partner, what we were going to try to be for that future partner. Uh, we wrote this letter to our future selves, which was pretty cool. Um, a very sweet weekend. And then a year or so after that retreat, that weekend, I was not living a sexually pure life. I was not living a sexually mature life. Um, I was making choices of compromise. And I was really angry with myself for that because I felt like I knew better. Um, I had led a retreat about it just a year before. So I was really angry about myself. I was also pretty angry at God with that time as well because I felt like I didn't really understand uh, why God had some of the, the rules that he had, why he asked me to live the way that he lived, why he wasn't just like speaking to me clearly during this time. Like I just really wanted him to be clear. I think maybe he was clear and I wasn't hearing it, but I was really upset with myself. I was really upset with God during that time. Actually, there was a moment. This is like, this sort of feels like the... Um, like maybe my breaking point a little bit with this. I was looking in my wallet uh, for like a card um, that I needed. I think I was like buying some online or something, right? So I'm like, I'm like looking for the card that I need and I find the letter that I wrote to myself that weekend. And I tore it up and threw it away. You thought that was going to be a sweet story, didn't you? Oh, uh, yeah, no, I, I tore it up and I threw it away. I was so mad. I was like, I was like, that's not like that. Like, I just can't do that. I've, I've failed. I'm, I've, I've lost my way sort of thing. I'm like, I guess that is that. I, I felt shame. I felt frustration. It was like a very sort of dramatic movie moment as I tore up that letter and threw it away. But that was how I felt because purity seemed like a worthy goal, but it also seemed like a goal where once lost, sorry, guess you're not pure anymore. I guess that's just how it's going to be. And I had missed the mark and I had failed, and so it was no longer something that I could be. It was no longer something that I could achieve. It was no longer something worth striving for. That was my understanding of it. And so that is why we want to talk about this morning maturity and sexual maturity and what that is and what it isn't. So I'm really glad that you're joining us for this series because during this series, we want to explain Lord, what sexual maturity is. We want to talk about why God cares about it, and we want to talk about what he says about it as the creator of sex and sexuality and us as people. We want to talk about that. Now, I do want to share a caveat at the beginning of what this series won't be. 
um, because I just think that's important as well. This isn't a um, sexual like healing series. Though we think it would be mature to pursue that goal, we're not going to teach that, and we're not going to lead you along that way. Uh, this isn't going to be something for healing from trauma. That's not exactly what we're going to be doing here either, though we believe that that would be a mature and worthy goal to strive for. We do want to provide resources for those things. I'll talk about them at the end as well, but if we can actually just throw up that last slide, we do have some things that we think would be really good, okay, that you can do for that. Uh, we've got resources for such things at our wellness center. We have a group that meets, an anonymous group called Celebrate Recovery, and also we would encourage you to make an appointment with a counselor or therapist to tackle some of those things such as uh, healing from trauma and abuse and things like that because we do think that that's important. But I do just want to share that that won't be what this series is about. But we do want to urge you to do so and we want to provide resources to help with that. Okay, Thank you for throwing up that slide as well. So during my personal journey of sexual maturity, uh, that was... Uh, that was a term that I hadn't come across until sort of years after uh, that, that moment of sort of like breaking down, tearing up the letter, right? I'd never really heard that term before, but that term sexual maturity really changed my perspective on sexuality in the kingdom of God. And that's what makes me really excited to share this series with you uh, is because I think that whatever age you are, Whatever stage of life you might be in, you can benefit from a conversation around sexual maturity, and so can I. If you're young and you're single like myself, then I think there's a lot to be gained. Though I guess I'm not as young as I thought I was. Ten years graduated, right? <laughs> um, then I think there's a lot to be gained. But also if you're married, I still think that that is not a guarantee that you are sexually mature, Okay. You can be sexual, you can be sexually active, and you might not be mature. And so I think it's worth having this conversation still. You can be married, and you can only be having sex within the sanctity of marriage, and you still might not be sexually mature. And we're going to be talking about some of those things. And so this series is not one to judge. It's not one to shame or condemn. Instead, what this series is going to do is the series is going to hold up the Bible. It's going to hold up that as the standard of what God says. And that is going to be the standard with which we are going to try to pursue sexual maturity. And we believe that that is a journey that you can always be on and that you can always be striving for. And I do want to mention that during this series, it might feel like Jesus and Paul and the Bible, it's, it might feel like those things are getting into your business a little bit. It might feel that way during this series. And it might feel like some of what we're talking about is personal. And it might feel like some of the things that we're talking about, those things are hard. And it will probably generate some discussion within our church among people and I think that all of those things are good. I think that all of that is actually a very good thing because we want to move closer to the way that Jesus would have us live. And we want to lean into maturity and mature discussions. We don't want to shy away from it. We don't want to hide from those things. We don't want to just ignore some of those hard conversations, okay? I also want to share that a lot of what we're going to be talking about and a lot of what we're going to be reading in the Bible was written for and taught to disciples of Jesus. 
Like when we're reading the writings of Paul, like that's Paul writing a letter to a church. So a lot of this is going to be for disciples of Jesus. So if you're here and you're not a disciple of Jesus, I think that's totally okay and that's awesome. I want you to eavesdrop on what we're talking about. I want you to listen to it. You might get something out of it where you're like, I'm not actually like following Jesus yet, but that sounds wise. That sounds good. That sounds healthy and safe. And I agree with it. So I still urge you, if you're not yet a disciple of Jesus, I still want you to hear what we have to say and consider it. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, well, a lot of this stuff is for you. So it's good that you know it. And it's good that we start trying to pursue it. And so we're going to start right here with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. This is written by Paul to a church in the city of Corinth. We're going to talk more about Corinth later, but this is what it says. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. That is going to be sort of our guiding principle through this series is that we want to put the ways of childhood behind us and we want to pursue maturity. What's really fun about this is you've probably heard verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 before because that's what's commonly known as the love chapter where Paul teaches us to love. But what is Paul saying here? He's saying that a lot of the ways that we love are pretty childish and that we don't always get it. We're not always mature in our love. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, like, let's leave childish love behind, and let's learn to love like mature adults. That is going to be our goal. And so we as a church, we are going to put the childish ways behind us. Adultery is childish. Entitlement is childish. Objectifying is childish. I'll tell you right now, like, I just want to be transparent, like, my wandering eye is childish. When I look at other people with lust, that is a childish thing. Okay, when I'm working out at the gym in the morning and my eye starts to wander and I start to have thoughts that I know God would not want me to have, I have to be mature and I have to be responsible for myself and where my eye goes. I have to be responsible for myself and the areas where my mind is dwelling and that is my responsibility I am responsible for my own sexual maturity. And so are all of you. And your sexual maturity matters to God. And it will matter to those who lead. Your sexual maturity is going to matter to your future partner. Your sexual maturity matters to your current family and your children who you're raising up to hopefully be sexually mature. So let's start this discussion and let's see where it takes us on the road to maturity. And notice that a lot during this morning, I'm going to use the term road and journey because I don't think we ever just arrive at being like fully mature. I don't think it's like, yep, I've done it. I've arrived. Thank goodness it's been a long path, but now I'm finally perfectly mature. Like that's just not really how it's going to work. This is something that will take time. And I think we just keep setting goals and we keep setting boundaries and we keep inviting God into those areas of our lives. I remember when I first had like the talk, like the sex talk with my parents, 
Um, it was with my mom and my stepdad specifically. Uh, we were living in like Murray at the time. It was downstairs in our TV room. Like I remember it all like so clearly because it was like, I knew it was coming eventually. Like I had had friends that had had it. I'd seen like jokes about it like on like movies and television stuff. So I know that like one day I'm going to have it. And like they asked if they could meet. They shut the door and I'm like, I know exactly what this is, right? <laughs> like I know exactly what's about to happen. And so we sat down and we had the talk. Um, we discussed a few things. We discussed how um, sex was for married couples. I, I remember that very specifically. Um, we also discussed how like not everybody always treats it that way though. Like not everybody is like waiting for marriage to have sex. Um, we uh, talked about how there's different types of sexual acts, but they're still considered sex. I remember we, we talked about that. And then um, they told me that if um, I ever got to the point where I was going to choose to have sex before I was married, that they actually wanted to talk to me about that because it was important that I understood the decision that I was making and that, um, I, and that I was safe. And that was it. They asked if I had any questions. I think I asked one question and then that was it. And when I say that was it, like that was it forever. Like that was, that was it. We never talked about it again. Um, that, was, that was all that we talked about. I never talked about it with my dad, um, ever. Um, my parents said that their, their door was always open to talk about those things. They made that clear, but I never really took advantage of that. I think it, it felt weird, right? Like, I remember the first time that I ever, um, the first time that I ever told my mom I had a crush. Her name was Kylie Sue Sandoval. Uh, we went to elementary school together, and I told my mom that I had a crush. And um, she said, and she said, oh my gosh, like, that's, like, that's amazing. Like, um, like, what do you like about her? I was like, well, she's really smart. She's really pretty. I like her laugh. And my mom, like, gushed over it. She was like, it's so sweet that you noticed those things. Like, you're such a sweet little boy, right? And from then on, I was, like, mortified to have those conversations with my mom because it was embarrassing. I'm like, this is actually the worst. I should have never told you. <laughs> oh, this is awful, right? <laughs> um, and, and so I stopped telling my mom about my crushes. Uh, and so I, I think I was like learning a lot of, a rot, a lot of the wrong lessons about these things. Um, I remember all of my friends, um, as I got older, so many of their relationships were shrouded in secrecy. It was secret that they were dating. It was secret what they were doing when they were dating. It was secret the conversations that they were having. And so that was the lesson that I learned I was like, oh, like, I guess I'm supposed to actually keep these things a secret. Like, I'm not really supposed to have these real, authentic conversations. And so I only talked to my peers about relationships and only certain peers. I started deleting texts because my parents would sometimes read my texts, and I didn't always want them to know who I was talking to or what I was talking about. Um, when I was going out with friends and my parents asked who was going to be there, I mentioned certain friends that I knew they liked and that they trusted. And so much of everything became shrouded in secrecy. And I think that's like why we find ourselves here in this series is because I think the church treats so much of this the same way. I think the church can treat so much of this conversation about sex and sexuality the same way. Of maybe there's sort of like one, we have one talk every once in a while about it and then that's it. Um, there are some things that we just don't talk about because it's embarrassing or because it's hard. Um, there's, so much of, there's so much of just not having the conversations that need to be had. And so that's why we find ourselves here. Not so I can tell you how to dress, 
Not so I can tell you that how far is too far. That's always the question we get at youth group, right? Well, like, how far is too far? Like, what's the line so that I can go up to it, right? Like, that's not what we're talking about today. Not so I can tell you, like, the mean girls of line of, like, don't have sex or you'll get pregnant and die, right? Like, that's not what this is. It's not any of those things, okay? It's not so you'll feel bad about yourself for what you have done or what you have not done in your story. None of that is the goal, and none of that's going to happen. We're here so we can talk about it in an open and forthright manner. We want to reduce the taboo around the topic. Everything will go back to the Bible because that's our source of truth. My parents weren't wrong with a lot of the things that they talked about during our talk, but I wish they had shared more. I wish there had been more. I wish there had been more discussions. I wish it was sex talks, not just sex talk, right? Uh, the discussion that we have this morning and over the next few weeks might look different than what you've seen in church before, and I think that's okay. And I hope that this isn't the last conversation that we have about it, because I hope this isn't, like, just the sex series, but I hope that, that there's more series about it, like sex talks, right? And I hope that it doesn't, I hope we don't just have to talk about sex and sexuality in a sex series, but I hope it can become a more common part of what we're talking about. Man, I'm saying sex a lot today, <laughs> and we're not done. <laughs> okay? <laughs> My mom is giving the same message at Ogden, and she's like, I've never written the word so much. I'm like, I know, right? Like, <laughs> she read my notes, and she's like, did I do a bad job? I'm like, no, you didn't do a bad job. I'm like, that's not what this is at all. I'm like, I'm like I think we're just both growing. She's like, you're right. My mom said, she's like, I became more sexually mature as I grew up, too. She's like, I'm more sexually mature now than I was when you were 13. She's like, I would give the talk differently now if I had kids. Again, I'm like, yeah, because it's a journey. So she's, I think we're realizing how much we've grown by both of us giving this talk. So our sexuality will not go away after February. And notice how we did this series in February. Isn't it perfect, right? Our sexuality will not go away after February, so our conversations around it should not go away either. So the one thing that I really want to share with you before I get into some more scripture is that um, I'm not sure where you are or what your story is, but I want you to know this. You are valuable. Your sexuality is valuable. Your sexual experience is valuable. And the God who made you and made your sexuality and crafted you for to ha maybe have a sexual experience one day, he wants you to handle it carefully because he sees you as valuable and he made you valuable. In fact, there's a book in the Bible called Genesis that discusses exactly that. The word Genesis means origins, and so this book was written uh, to record the history of the Hebrew people. And in Genesis, um, the author recounts the creation story. And it's really incredible because in the account, it expresses that people are like the pinnacle of creation. That like God says that like creation is good, and then he creates something else, and he says that it's good, and then he creates something else that's good. And then he creates people, and he says it's very good. Okay, they are the pinnacle of his creation, the last thing that he makes. And that's going to be a big part of next week's discussion. But after the, the fall, when Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden and sin entered the world, the population began to rise and like empires and civilizations began to grow. And God decided to start a nation that would be his chosen nation, the Hebrew people. Okay, And when his people eventually left Egypt where they were enslaved, we're like racing through some scripture here, but I, I, I want to get to something here. Um, 
God decided that he wanted to give them rules and guidelines for how to live. And so he called Moses, and he gave him 613 laws for his people to follow, his chosen people, to start moving them closer to to start moving them closer to what his uh, final vision would look like, to move them closer to what his original vision for what creation looked like. This would not be the end-all, be-all. Jesus would come and fulfill the law, which we'll talk about later, okay? But this was going to move them a little bit closer to what, uh, what their lives should be and closer to bringing heaven to earth. And I feel like this is where the talk can get a little bit tricky because Um, If you are in here and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you have like friends and family who aren't followers of Jesus, this might be like, this might be like where they got hung up and where they sort of tapped out and they're like, I don't think I can like follow Jesus. Like when I read the Bible and I read those laws in Leviticus, it just doesn't make sense to me, right? But uh, stay with me for a minute because God gives us a design regarding human sexuality. Uh, There's a tension that's created by our sin though. Because when we do not obey his standards, he has to give us new laws to move us closer and closer to the original design. Many Old Testament laws were not God's final plan uh, for the human existence, not maybe his final plan for human sexuality, but instead it was an advancement of the sexual morality of the people at this time. Advancement of where they were at that time. Okay? I know people who refer to sort of this passage of Scripture in, in the Levitical law as their evidence for not following God, and they see, like, the God of Christianity and Judaism it's just wanting to control them, control their sexuality, get in the bedroom with them, and sort of mess with their lives. But I actually want to describe a different God to you, a God who is trustworthy and who was looking forward and had a plan, a God of moral advance, Okay? So in chapter 18 of Leviticus, um, there are 19 different unlawful sexual acts that are described there. 19 different unlawful sexual acts that are described in Leviticus 18. Okay, Why was there a law for that? Probably because people at that time were doing some of those things. Or were going to be tempted to do those things. That's why you make a law against something, right? So there's these 19 sexual acts that are described as against the law. And we see that God, I think, probably like predicted the future, knew where humanity was going, something like that. Because today, in 2024, 17 of those 19 unlawful acts are outlawed in almost every developed country throughout the world. Okay, the things that God was saying you should not do, the rest of humanity looked at and they were like, yeah, that's actually wrong. That's maybe despicable. That's something that you should not do. And so it's illegal throughout our developed world today. So we see that we have a God who is actually, (laughs) we see a God who is ahead of his time in guiding and protecting his people and protecting them from themselves. So why does this God care about our sexuality in the first place? Why does it matter so much to him? I think it's because he created sexuality And he knew something about his creation that we can sometimes forget, that we sometimes ignore, that we don't always like thinking about, that not everybody maybe even agrees with, okay? God knew that sex is more than just a physical act. It's more than just physical. 
culture, media, maybe some of your friends, they might try to like tell you otherwise. They're like, no, like it's just like it's just something that you do. And it's maybe not that big of a deal. You just hook up and then you can like forget about it or uh, something like that. And maybe you've even been tempted to believe otherwise and maybe ask yourself, well, is it just a physical act? But I think your original belief is right, that sex is more than just a physical act. And how do we know this fact? I think we know it for a few reasons. I think we, we know that sex is more than just physical. I, I think if you've done it, you know, right? But I think we also know that sex is more than just a physical act because you know that when your partner cheats, that hurts deep, extremely deep. It is a deep betrayal that just cannot go away, right? And so I think you know that it's more than just physical for that reason. I think we know that sex is more than just physical because I think we know that sexual assault is different than physical assault. It's so much less reported, so much less talked about. There's shame and hurt that goes so deep that we just can't always even put into words. And there's deep healing that has to take place after something like that. So I think we know, we know that sex is more than just physical for some of those reasons, for some of the ways that people have been hurt by an abuse of sex and sexuality. And I think that can clue us in that this is just more than just a physical act that it is so, so important to take care of it and to handle it delicately and maturely. Sex is an example of intimacy. It is to fully know and it is to fully be known. That level of intimacy was created to reflect our relationship with God, with God himself. Pastor Tim Keller maybe somebody that you've heard of before, he described sex as sacrament. Use the word sacrament. That word isn't used much anymore, uh, but it means a sacred religious ceremony. Pastor Tim Keller said that it was a sacrament that delights, that unifies, and that sometimes procreates as well, okay? So it's an intimate and important thing. What is being described here is something that just goes beyond what is merely physical. If we could throw up that verse from Genesis chapter 2, it says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and he will hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is intimacy. That is beautiful. But it also requires great responsibility and maturity. If God created us in his image, and if he has our best interests in mind, then I think that means we can trust some of the things that God says about sex. And I want to jump into what Jesus says about it as well, because I never want to have a conversation like this without talking about what Jesus says. So if we can go... Um, uh, to Matthew chapter 5, and if we could throw up that verse as well. Jesus was constantly raising the bar 
with people on, on their understandings. So uh, Jesus, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about how uh, he's sort of raising the bar, and he says things like, you have heard it said that you shouldn't uh, murder somebody, but I'm going to raise the bar a little bit, and I'm going to tell you in fulfilling the law that not only should you not murder, you shouldn't hate. And then after that, he says this, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, going all the way back to the Levitical law, going all the way back to the laws that God gave at the very beginning. And Jesus says, look, I'm actually the fulfillment of the law. Jesus says, and so let me tell you this, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so we see that Jesus raises the bar. He says, look, it's actually even more important than that. It's not just don't cheat. He's like, hey, it's don't even look at somebody lustfully with lustful intent in your heart. Uh, Martin Luther, when he, was, uh, when he was preaching and teaching on this passage, uh, Martin Luther uh, said this. He said, look, I cannot, he didn't say look, I added look. He said, <laughs> he said, I cannot stop a bird from flying over my head, but I can stop it from building a nest in my hair. Can't stop a bird from flying over my head. He's like, look, there's going to be people who are attractive, right? Like, that's a part of life, right? He's like, that's going to happen, but... I can stop it from building a nest in my hair. I can stop it from taking root in my mind. There are things that I can do about it if I am pursuing maturity. And so I think we can, uh, I think that Jesus has something to say to us about pursuing maturity here. Um, when I think about like Moses bringing back the law and like being trustworthy and stuff. And when I think about Jesus sort of expanding on the law, it makes me think about like all of the human examples of, um, of like, uh, like leaders, like religious leaders and stuff, and how their approach to this is just so differently. And it, uh, it leads me to trust somebody like Moses, trust somebody like Jesus even more. Because uh, Moses went by himself up the mountain uh, to receive the laws from God. And it was just Moses, and it was just God up there on the mountain, writing these down and bringing them back for the Hebrew people. And it just leads me to believe that, like, if Moses was lying, if he was lying and if he was manipulating the Hebrew people, then he would have come back with a list of laws that would have all benefited him. I feel like, wouldn't it? Like, I think he would have come back down off the mountain. He would have been like, well, God gave me the law, and it says I can marry whoever I want. And actually, I can marry as many of them as I want. And actually, there's nothing that you can do about it. But that's not what Moses came back and said at all. Moses came back down off the mountain, and what did it look like? The law looked like, love the Lord your God. And the law said, do not commit adultery. But instead, actually, it is one man, one woman, one God for one lifetime. That's what relationships are going to look like. And it, he came down with, in fact, like without all of this uh, authority over the people, but all of the authority was in the hands of God himself, not in the hands of Moses. And it just leads me to trust him because when I look at a lot of the religions of the world over the years, those leaders could do whatever they want to whoever they wanted, whenever they wanted. But Moses... And Jesus, it seems to be the exception. It seems very different than what the world does and what the world looks like. Moses brought the laws 
in a way that is so unexpected and that leads me to trust it so much deeper. And that takes us to one other follower of Jesus who we're going to be spending the remaining time that we have with, and that is a guy named Paul. Paul is an apostle who had his life radically changed by Jesus. He was once like uh, persecuting churches, tearing them down, killing Christians. He has a, an experience with Jesus that transforms his life. He's now building churches, spreading Christianity, and creating Christians <laughs> rather than tearing it down, right? And he writes a letter uh, to a city called Corinth. And Corinth was wild in during this time, okay? Like, let me tell you, like, they, um, like, their laws just look so different, right? And their views on sexuality and sex looked so different. For them, it wasn't cheating for a man to, uh, it wasn't cheating for a man to, like, hook up with, like, a prostitute. Like, that was something that was actually sort of encouraged, right? Uh, of course, women were not allowed to cheat, but men were allowed to be with whomever they wanted because that was often how the ancient world worked, right? Especially outside of following Jesus, okay? And so uh, that's this experience that Paul is writing to. And, the, and there's a church that's trying to exist in this hypersexual world where sex is just seen sort of uh, so differently than what Jesus was teaching. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. If we could throw that first verse up there. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. He's like, you have got to run the other way. All of the other sins that a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. He says, you've got to run away. That's the only way that you're going to beat this is if you starve it, if you get away from it, if you look away from it, if you turn your back on it, okay? Here's the thing that I want you to keep in mind with this. God is not against sex. He's against sexual immorality, but he's not against sex, okay? He created it. He designed it for you, okay? God is not against sex. Instead, he is for you. He's for you. He cares about you. He says, look, when you sin sexually, he's like, you're hurting yourself. He's like, I'm telling you to run away from sexual immorality, not because I'm against sex, but because I am for you, because I'm rooting for you, because I support and I love, and I care about you. This sin will hurt yourself, okay? There's always going to be consequences, okay? There's always going to be consequences, but the consequences of maturity and of the hard work of maturity are actually very good and fruitful, and the consequences of immaturity are detrimental, and you hurt yourself with it. In fact, just before this, he was writing in verses 16 through 18, and this is what he says to give you a little bit more context of what Paul was talking about. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute, remember, that wasn't seen as a big deal. It wasn't even seen as cheating for a man to do so in this culture, so it was becoming quite common, okay? Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, that uh, verse that we were looking at in Genesis. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body. Whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You were bought with a price, right? Jesus cares so much about you. And he says, look, 
once you become one, you can't just become un-one, right? So you become one flesh. You can't just, like, divide that. Like, that doesn't just go away. And people were probably saying, like, no, like, it's not a big deal. It's just physical, right? It's just, it, it's, it's just a temple prostitute. It's not like I'm actually cheating on my wife. And Paul is saying, do you not know? You become one. Jesus has been saying it, or God has been saying it since the beginning. You've read the scriptures. You should know. All the way back in Genesis, it was written that you become one flesh. Don't you realize that? You can't just divide that. That doesn't just go away. Sex is more than just a physical act. And when you're doing it outside of what God designed it for, you hurt yourself. God cares about you being mature. And then he finishes uh, in chapter 6, with 19 and 20, he says this, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit resides in you, okay? Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So honor God with your body. Be mature in your body. He says, you just, you're not your own anymore. Now that the Holy Spirit is in you, you used to have to go to the temple. Now you are the temple, God bought you with a price. He sacrificed himself for you. We're going to talk about this next week. But Paul says, look, it's not about who you love. It's about who loves you. Jesus loves you, right? That's what's important. That's where your identity is going to be found. So stop chasing it everywhere else. Stop chasing it everywhere else. So what do we do with what we know? What do we do with some of these things that we know? that God is trustworthy, that sex is more than just physical, that we've been bought with the price and we are not our own, but we belong to Jesus as his disciples. What do we do with those things? Because we're going to receive all sorts of sexual signals from all sorts of contexts around us. Advertisements are going to be sexualized and they're going to have something to say about the way that you should be living. The sitcoms that you watch on TV, the YouTubers who you watch online, the music that you're listening to, the friends that you make, your parents are going to have things that they're going to teach you. School is going to be teaching you things. The people at your job, the videos that you watch on TikTok are going to be telling you something about sex. Your pastor is going to get up on a Sunday morning and he's going to talk about this thing, right? There's going to be all sorts of signals and they're all going to be telling you things that are maybe a little bit different and they're all going to have something to say. And so what I want us to do is I want us to like tune into the right voice. And that right voice is going to come from your Bible. And that right voice is going to come from God. I'm not going to be a perfect voice, okay? I, I don't know as much as I wish I did, right? Um, I mean, God's the creator of sex, not me, right? Like, I'm just, like, he's the God of all creation, right? And so that's going to be the right voice for you. It's not going to be found on television. It's not going to be found online. It's going to be found in your Bible, and it's going to be found with the creator of sex, okay? He can be found in the Bible. And the great thing about, like, sex is it hasn't changed in the last 2,000 years, hasn't changed in the last 8,000 years, right? So the things that God says there, they remain the same, and they remain constant. And so that's where I want you to pursue knowledge about it, because I think we're going to have questions, and I think it's going to get messy and complicated because like sex and sexuality and those things are, are messy and they're, and they're complicated. And so what I want us to do is I want us to, when we have questions, I want us to go to God's word. And I want us to find the truth there, 
because he is trustworthy. He's proven that he's trustworthy, and he will continue to do so if you will give him a chance. And in doing that, that is a mature thing to do. That is a very mature thing to do. When you have a question regarding sex, the first place that you should go is to the designer of it, right? Like, I, like I, like I have an iPhone because I'm basic, and, um, right, like, like anybody that doesn't have an iPhone, they're just being kind of edgy, and that's cool. Like, be edgy. Like, I like that. I'm basic. And so, like, if it has a problem, like, I'm just going to go, I'm going to, go to like, the Apple store. And they'll be like, hey, can, can you fix this? Because, like, I don't know what's going on with it, right? And they'll know because, like, they designed it. They created it. They know what to do with it. And I think, like, sex is just going to be, like, a similar thing where if you have a question about sexual orientation, if you have a question about marriage, if you have a question about pornography, right, like, ask them of the Bible. And then, like, if you're still trying to figure out, ask them of people who are trying to live the Bible out, who are pursuing maturity like you are. There's a lot of people who don't really care about sexual maturity, and that's their choice, but those just should not be the people that we're going to, right? That should not be the place where we're trying to get those questions answered, okay? So I think those people that are, um, like, we want to go to the experts about some of those things and value his voice the most. I, 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 I'm almost done. I'm, I'm wrapping up here soon, but I've got a couple of other things that just, like, when thinking about this and praying about this that I, I, I want to share, and one of them that, that came to mind um, is like, I've heard this example before, I think it was at a camp, speaking of, of camps, right? Uh, but the speaker at camp was talking about how like, sex is, is sort of like a fire. Like, fire in the right context is just really good, right? Like when you're roasting marshmallows around a fire, like that's really good. When it's snowing outside, you are like, let's light a fire in the fireplace, right? Like that's just like a really good and beautiful thing, and it, it's warm, and it's cozy, and it's really nice. And, like, I, th I think sex is like that. We're in, like, the right context, and with people who are pursuing sexual maturity, like, that's just a really nice thing and a really good thing. So sex, like, in the fireplace is really great. Sex in the house is really, really bad. Fire in the house is really, really bad, right? Like, when it gets outside of its context where it's supposed to be, like, it's just, it's really dangerous, and it's really destructive, right? You have to save your comic book collection, which is, like, people are always like, when there's a fire in your house, what are you going to do? I'm like, comics. And they're like, you have too many. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> I'm going to be going back in a few times, right? Um, like, fire in the house is just really bad. It's really destructive. And I think sex, outside of the context, sex with people who aren't pursuing maturity can be really destructive and hurtful because God has a context for sex that is safe and fulfilling. And so I think this morning what we're doing, I think this is our application step, uh, is determine what kind of story you want to tell. I think you have to determine what kind of story you want to tell with your life. And maybe you've determined that already. Maybe you've been on a journey of maturity for a while. And if that's the case, like, praise God, that is so cool. You also might be here and you... Uh, you've not thought about this before. You've not thought about sexual maturity before. And this is your first time hearing it. And maybe you're hearing that and you're like, I want to tell a story of sexual maturity with my life. And if so, that's awesome. You also might be here and there might be a lie. You might be hearing a lie that's like, it's too late to be telling a story of sexual maturity. And I want you to know that that's a lie. Because you can start telling whatever story you want right now, today. On February 11th, 
2024, you can decide this is the start of my journey of sexual maturity. This is the start, right? Like, <laughs> it wasn't, my story wasn't over when I ripped up that letter and threw it away. My story wasn't over, right? God was still working on me, and I decided to tell a new story after that. And you can too. You can start telling whatever story you want now. If you in your life have been sexually active before marriage, start telling a new story today. It's not too late, right? If you're here and you have been married and you have been in the context of your marriage, you have decided, I am entitled to sex whenever I want, you can start telling a new story today. You can start telling a new one today. If you're in here and you've been battling pornography for years and you've thought, I don't know if it's ever going to get better. I don't even know if I should try anymore. You can start telling a new story today. If you're in here and you've been emotionally cheating on your partner and you've known it and you've got great shame about it, but you feel like you're in pretty deep, you can start telling a new story today. There's nothing that's stopping you from saying today on February 11th, it's a new story. It's a new day. I want to be sexually mature because it matters to God. And if it matters to God, then it matters to me. And because God says that I am valuable and God says that I matter and God says that my sexual maturity matters. And so I'm going to start telling that story now. Today is the day that you can begin that journey of maturity. There's a... Um, uh, there's a, uh, an experiment, like a sort of social psychological experiment that you've probably seen before, that you've maybe heard before, called the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment. And you've maybe seen like very like cute videos of kids online doing it and people recreating it. Uh, here's the idea of it. Uh, the idea of it is that like children are brought in and an adult comes in and they put a marshmallow in front of the kid. And they say, you can eat this marshmallow now. Okay? And I'm going to leave. But if I come back in a few minutes and you have not eaten the marshmallow, then I'm going to give you two marshmallows. You've maybe heard this before. Okay? And then there's like the camera on the kids and the kids are trying. Like they're trying so hard. They're like nibbling on it a little bit. They hold it. They roll it up. They close their eyes so that they can't look at it because if I can't look at it, I can't be tempted by it. Right? It's very cute. And it's to teach you about delayed gratification. Right? It's to teach you that um, if you wait, you can get something better. You've maybe heard of this um, example used in like a, a message about like sex before as well, of like delayed gratification. Like if you wait, it's better, right? And here's the thing that's like pretty cool about this experiment, right? Is that um, 30, in the original experiment, 33% of the kids waited to eat the marshmallow. 33%. And uh, scientists and like researchers followed those 33 percent of kids, um, well, they followed everyone, but like they followed these 33 percent of kids that waited uh, for the rest of their lives, and they were very like sort of successful in like the, in like sort of like, I guess the worldly sense, right, of like they had very successful jobs, uh, they had um, families, uh, they like they, they built these families, took care of them, right, and like they just, they were, they did very, very well for themselves over the rest of their lives. Here's what I want to tell you about that experiment. Some more research was done into the background of those kids. And the 33% that waited to eat the marshmallow, the 33% that waited had less income and less familial stability. 
the kid, uh, sorry, the, not, I, I totally misspoke. The kids that did not wait, the kids that ate the marshmallow, had less income and less familial, familial stability. The kids that did not wait, the kids that ate the marshmallow. Researchers determined that they believed that these kids could not always trust what adults told them. They believed that some of the kids who came in were probably hungry. The kids that waited, the kids that delayed gratification, had a lot of stability. They had a lot of income at home. They could trust the adult that said, I'll come back with another marshmallow, would come back with another marshmallow. Why do I share that with you? Because a lot of people don't trust God. And so sometimes they don't wait. Sometimes they compromise because they don't trust God. I want you to know that you can. I want you to know that you can trust God. That that delayed gratification will be worth it because God says that it will be. Because he fulfills his promises. Because he does what he says he's going to do. He does. Our God is a father who you can trust with your future. Every time you say no to sexual immorality, every time you say no to sexual immaturity, you are saying yes to the story that you want to tell. And saying no to yourself is hard. Saying no to other people can be hard. Saying no to yourself can be really hard. It takes a lot of practice to build that muscle. But every time you say no to yourself, you're saying yes to God. You're not missing out by saying no, you're investing in your future. You're not missing out. You are investing in your future by saying yes to God. Okay? And your story doesn't end when you say, I do. Your story doesn't end when you meet who you think might be the one. Your journey into sexual maturity is going to be a long one that will last a lifetime. If you are a grandparent in here, if you're older... It matters that you're sexually mature, too, because the things that you're teaching me, the things that you're teaching your grandchildren, the way that you interact with the next generation, that matters. That matters so much. The example that you set, so we're not going to need the condemnation, like me, like young people, right? We're not going to need, like, the condemnation and the shame from the older generation. We're going to need grace, compassion, understanding, that's what we're going to need, and we're going to need solid biblical teaching, and we're going to need good examples set for us, and that's what I'm going to need to do for the next generation as well. That's what I'm trying to do when I teach your kids in kids' church, when I teach your youth on a Tuesday night, when I'm at young adults, right? Like, that's what I'm trying to do as well, is I'm trying to be that example. There's a reason that we, today, now, we don't do sexual purity retreat. We do a sexual maturity retreat because we recognize that it's a journey and we don't want to shame or condemn our teenagers for what they've done or what they haven't done or what story they've already told. We want to tell them that they can tell a new story just like you can tell a new story today. And so what is our application? I want you to think about what story do I want to tell? Am I going to start telling a new story today? Right? I want you to think about it. And then the second application is I just want you to come back next week because this isn't a sex talk. These are sex talks. Can we throw up our last verse found in Ephesians? Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers 
Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. We want to be mature in the Lord. That is our goal, and it starts today. Well, it started then, right? It started back then, and it's still happening today, and so we're going to keep doing so next week. Um, we're going to uh, bring the worship team up, and we're going to play one more song. We're going to have uh, prayer teams available as well because we want to be able to pray with you, and we want to be able to say yes to a new journey with you. We want to be able to say yes to a new story with you. So if you need prayer for anything at all, our prayer teams will be up front, and we want to pray with you and join with you in celebrating the new journey that you might be on, uh, the new story that you are telling And then we will continue this discussion next week. Jesus, thank you so much, God, that you say we are valuable. Thank you that we can start telling a new story today. Thank you that you love us so much and that you are trustworthy with our future, that you are trustworthy with our sex and sexuality, God. I pray for each and every person here, whatever stage of their journey that they are on, God, I pray that you would uh, partner with them, that you would encourage them and empower them to walk in uh, maturity and in becoming more like you, Jesus. Please help us to bring heaven to earth today. In your name we pray, amen.
so much for being here and for worshiping with us. Um, I just pray that you guys have a blessed week and that um, God just keeps you safe and that you're willing to hear what he's like spoken to you today and take that with you. And uh, we'll see you here next week.